You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Berceau, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. The results of the recent Jupiter trial showed a strong association between high-sensitivity C-reactive protein and patients at risk for cardiovascular disease. However, do the results of the Jupiter warrant using HSCRP tests as a broad-based clinical screening tool for cardiovascular risk? Joining me today is Dr. Elliot Brinton, Director of the Metabolism Section of Cardiovascular Genetics and Associate Professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine and a Fellow of the American Heart Association. And he's here to give a critical view of Jupiter and reasons practitioners may want to give pause screening all patients for CRP levels. Dr. Brinton, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, let's start with what new information we have gained, if any, about the use of statins in preventing cardiovascular disease from the Jupiter trial. Well, I think it's important to stress the fact that statins work. And there have been times when there's been pretty good consensus. There have been times when people have been scratching their heads and saying, gee, is this true? But I think that's definitely a reminder that statins reduce cardiovascular disease, that resuvastatin or Crestor works just like the other statins in that its ability to reduce cardiovascular disease risk is proportional to its LDL cholesterol lowering. So I think we've got that very, very important take-home message. Those who say that statins are passe, that we shouldn't use them, I think need to take a careful look at this trial, which did indeed show very impressive results. So based on the trial, do you think that everybody with an elevated LDL cholesterol should be put on a statin even if they've never had any disease? Well, that's a very, very tough question, and I guess the devil's in the details here. Statins do reduce cardiovascular disease, and they can reduce it quite dramatically, a quarter, a third, maybe even close to a half. The question is, how do you know who to treat and who not to treat? A large percentage of the population has an elevated LDL cholesterol. Can we treat everybody? Well, we have certain guidelines. This study was actually done outside the guidelines in the sense that it took patients with LDLs at baseline below 130, and they got benefit. Now, what does that mean? Well, the real question here is, what are the other risk factors? And our single strongest risk factor, we forget this, is age. Age is the strongest predictor of cardiovascular disease risk. It turns out that the patients in Jupiter, even though they were, quote, healthy, were on average older. They averaged age 66, and in that age group, the risk is relatively high, and it's relatively easy to see risk reduction. So I think that's an important takeaway. If you're treating a 25-year-old, it's a very different matter than if you're treating a 65-year-old. One of the other questions is how much are you paying for your statin? The statin that was used in the Jupiter's trial was a branded resuvastatin or Crestor, which sells for about $3.5 a day, which is on the high side, uh, expense-wise, and even with a dr- dramatic risk reduction, probably not cost-effective if you use the standard benchmark of $50,000 per year of life saved. On the flip side of that, what would happen if you used a cheaper generic? Well, the generics are cheaper. You can get many of the generic statins for 4 or $5 per month, but they're not quite as effective. So the question is a little hard to answer, specifically from the Jupiter study, but looking at all the statin studies together, it's probably cost-effective to take these relatively high-risk patients, these older patients that were studied in Jupiter, and consider treating them with a statin. Now, does that mean everybody at age 66 has to be on a statin? No. 
But maybe if you can find at least one or two other risk factors, 40% of the patients in the study had the metabolic syndrome. We know that's a high-risk state. And maybe there are other situations, possibly even with CRP screening, where you could say, well, this puts the patient over that line and and now it becomes cost-effective. Another very important thing is to talk to the patient. Some patients are very fearful of cardiovascular disease, very willing to pay for and put up with the nuisance of, of daily treatment. Others feel the opposite way. But you mentioned price, and you know, if you look at it per month, it's more than $100 per month, and then if you looked at it per how much it would cost per event per year, it would be about $300,000 per event per year, and it would be more than $500,000 to prevent one death, and you said you know, the, the benchmark of $50,000 is what's considered normal for preventing a death, so this really is you know, 10 times as much money. It is, and so that's why we're not saying, and, and even Dr. Ridker in his enthusiasm for the study is not saying that everybody ought to go on a statin. It's a matter of getting a little smarter in terms of risk assessment, and frankly, one of the things we need, and this is not addressed in Jupiter, but it's a big need we have, is some really reliable, non-invasive way of screening for preclinical or subclinical atherosclerosis. If we had that, then we'd be way ahead of the game. That's a topic for another day, I guess, but it's a, it's a very important need. Another need that we have is to look at the long-term consequences of really aggressive LDL lowering. The average LDL in Jupiter was 55, and granted, there are a lot of people who have spent their entire lives with an LDL of 55, but it may be a little different if you get there by aggressive statin therapy. So we need a little more information about this super aggressive LDL lowering before we can say that bringing LDL to 55 for any particular population is necessarily a good thing, especially if they're somewhat lower risk because they haven't had a prior event. I'd like to talk a little bit about the number needed to treat because the number that they're throwing around in the study is based on extrapolating it out to about five years. And all we have is the number needed to treat for that study, which was 1.9 years, which comes out to about 125, 129 which I don't think is so impressive. And we get into trouble when we extrapolate findings out because we're kind of trying to predict the future. And predictions are pretty hard, especially when it comes to the future. Well, that's why I think it'd be really nice if we could subdivide the population of Jupiter. On average, they did fairly well. But as you point out, they're really, it's at the margins, even with a cheap statin, it's at the margins of cost effectiveness. So the question is, within this group, can we pick and choose? And there are subgroup analyses in the original publication, and they're not very helpful, but these are basically taking each factor one at a time. And I think a savvy clinician would say, okay, you know, let's look at family history plus metabolic syndrome plus you know this plus that and try to put together some sort of score now we have the Framingham risk score which actually is very effective and one of the questions which remains outstanding at the moment is exactly how well does CRP add to a standard risk assessment like Framingham we don't really know that but it would be nice to apply the Framingham to the Jupiter study and then to look within the range of the CRPs that was tested which is 2 to 10 and see if within that range CRP levels add to the prediction because we need to have some further winnowing of the population. We can't you know, treat the 50 million or so people that Jupiter would apply to. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking with Dr. Elliot Brinton, Director of the Metabolism Section of Cardiovascular Genetics and Associate Professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine. We're talking about the Jupiter trial and reasons practitioners should apply a more thoughtful approach to screening for high-sensitivity CRP levels. 
And I guess one of the other reasons is that it's not reimbursed yet. And so patients get really mad when I order that test on them, and they get a bill for $80. And so do you think, A, it'll be included in the new guidelines, and B, insurance companies will start paying for it? You know, the quick answer is I don't know. The guideline committee has been convened. They're starting to meet. It's a big committee. There's a lot of politics as well as science that will be slung around, and exactly what the committee is going to decide, I don't know. The Jupiter study is an impressive study, but based on what we know at the moment, we really have learned very little about the additional benefit of CRP screening. So if sub-analyses could come out, then perhaps we would see some significant movement. But I think based on what we know right now, the quick answer to that is, is probably no. Insurers don't want to pay for prevention if they can avoid it and they don't want to pay for extra testing, so they're going to be reluctant to do anything unless the guidelines come out with a very clear statement. So for the moment, I think the answer is likely no, but it's possible that further analyses and further data may move things forward. Well, how do you feel, Dr. Britton, about Dr. Ritker's interpretation of Jupiter? Do you agree with everything, or uh, do you have some problems with it? Well, Dr. Ritker is a very, very smart scientist, and I agree with most of what he said about the trial. There's one glaring problem, and that is the fact that he tells everybody that he was very surprised that the results were so positive. He's expecting maybe a 10 or 15% risk reduction, and here was a 45% or so risk reduction. And I just have to pause and say, you know, relative risk reduction is almost entirely a function of the treatment. And he was using 20 milligrams a day of Crestor, which is really powerful stuff. It lowers LDL dramatically, and so a 45% risk reduction is exactly what you would predict. And it really doesn't matter who you're treating. It should be the same risk reduction in any population. Now, absolute risk, of course, is a function of the population. And then the absolute risk reduction is a multiple or product of the two. So there is an element here of risk in the population, but it's not related to this relative risk reduction of 45%. And that is a misinterpretation and, unfortunately, a very common misinterpretation of the Jupiter study, that somehow that was related to the screening and the CRP testing. It had nothing to do with that. It was just a function of the drug. Can we get rid of relative risk reduction? When did that creep into medicine, and why are we even allowing it to persist when, when the absolute risk reduction is really more meaningful? And in this study, it was less than 1%, 0.9%. It's a good figure in the sense of what I just said, which is if you give a given dose of a given drug, you can have a relatively predictable relative risk reduction. But you're absolutely right. That is only part of the equation. And the other part of the equation is what is the risk of that particular patient and therefore what is the actual degree of benefit because if the risk is nearly zero, mm -hmm. 45% reduction of something nearly zero is meaningless. If the risk is really high, then a 45% risk reduction is huge. So you have to select your high-risk patients. And I guess part of the take-home here is that Jupiter tells us that in secondary prevention, they weren't studied in this study, but in secondary prevention, aggressive LDL lowering is useful. Now, one other thing to keep in mind is the fact that this 45% risk reduction leaves 55% unprevented. So is statin monotherapy enough? I think in the high-risk patient, the answer is no. So... Yes, we need to think more about absolute risk reduction and absolute risk than we do about relative risk reduction. But relative risk reduction remains a good concept if we are not relying on it exclusively. So let's say you have a patient in front of you and you've calculated his risk to be 6%. And you say, listen, I can give you this pill. You have to take it for the rest of your life and I can reduce your risk from 6% to 5%. Does that interest you, patient? 
and that, that is a good way to put it because then the patient is saying, oh, yeah, I see, here's how much benefit I'm going to get. As it turns out, lifetime risk is almost always much higher, well, it is higher, than the 10-year risk, which is what we normally quote. So you have to kind of think about 10-year versus lifetime. And, of course, those are two very separate considerations, but you're right. It's helpful to talk to the patient about what is their chance, X in 100, of having an event within whatever period of time, and then it'll be changed to Y per 100 over the same period of time if they take the treatment. And oftentimes the patients are surprised to realize that this treatment that they think they have to take is really giving them relatively little benefit. Now, that being said, for the person whose event is prevented, obviously it's a huge thing. So it's a two-edged sword, certainly, as treatment for any other disease. We have to, on the one hand, be enthusiastic and positive. On the other hand, be reasonably conservative and circumspect that we don't treat everybody that comes in the door. We, we save our treatment for the high-risk patient, for a patient who truly understands the risks and the benefits. Dr. Britton, you mentioned earlier that you were kind of surprised at Dr. Ridker's reaction of that he was very surprised at the degree of risk reduction. And, you know, when they design these trials, they know exactly how many patients they need to prove their theory. And, and it's kind of, we kind of knew from the prove-it trial that the CRP theory would play out. So they kind of, it was kind of rigged from the start. It was in the sense that they selected people with higher CRPs. We know that CRP is a risk factor, so we knew this was a higher risk population. Ridker refers to the AFCAPS TEXCAP study, which seemed to show a lower risk, but they were eight years younger on average, and age is such a huge risk factor. That needs to be paid attention to a little bit more. There was this business of, of excluding 80% of the potential study subjects, and what happened to those 80%? Well, we don't really know what happened to them. What would happen if you took a similar population with a CRP under two? What happens within the two to 10 range? That's where some sub-analyses, I think, would be helpful. There are an awful lot of things that we need to know, even just about the baseline data for this study. And what we have is interesting, it's useful, it's intriguing, but it's still very, very incomplete in terms of of what we need to know about this group in general and, and CRP testing in particular. Do you have any thoughts on why more people in the Crestor arm develop diabetes than the placebo arm? I, I can't come up with a good explanation. We haven't been thinking of statins as being harmful in terms of insulin resistance or beta cell function, the two key mechanisms behind type 2 diabetes. But that's, again, part of this question of, you know, if we took enough people and treated them with enough drug, might we cause more risk and more harm than benefit? And the answer to that is possibly yes. Dr. Elliot Brinton, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. My guest was Dr. Elliot Brinton, Director of the Metabolism Section of Cardiovascular Genetics and Associate Professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine and a Fellow of the American Heart Association. And we were talking about the Jupiter Trial. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.